I'm going to speak very pointed and plain to you today. Uh, the last few weeks and on Wednesday night and Sundays, we are gathering toward a time of commitment in this church. Now, this is just as spiritual as what we just did. Somebody say amen. Somebody say amen. I want to tell you, at any moment, God can heal you, touch you, fill you with the Holy Ghost. And uh, none of this time is wasted. We want to give God every opportunity to do what He wants to do in the hearts of men and women. So we're coming today to the preaching of the Word. And let me say that I believe that uh, in the last few weeks and and next week and August 5th, uh, we will go on a very pointed journey as we have been uh, talking about uh, our needs as a congregation. Uh, this gymnasium is not our final home, but it will not be long. We, we, God will help us to finish uh, what he, he has helped us to beget, uh, begin and to endeavor to do. Somebody say amen. And it affects everything that this church does. And, and uh, you'll hear more about that as we go forward. But on August 5th, everybody say in two weeks. In two weeks, I want you to be well prepared. Uh, I believe that God is going to give us a miracle. I believe that we're not far from paying off this complex, and when we do, that gives us the ability to go forward, and uh, we're going to keep on. Well, Brother Gene, when are we going to not have to give? I, I'm going to give the rest of my life. I, I don't I don't know when you think, well, I'm done. Well, when, Okay, well, if you're done giving, God's done blessing. So... Uh, we're going to focus a little bit on what this giving's for. And I do appreciate your heart for missions and your heart for preaching the gospel around the world, uh, but also your heart for what God's doing here in this community. And this is where God has called us to. So bear with me today as I preach to you what I've been, we talked a few weeks ago on Sunday about the journey. Everybody say the journey. So today I've entitled this, The Journey is My Journey. It's my journey. Everybody say, it's my journey. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, the journey is my journey. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your blessings. God, in your spirit that we feel in a mighty way. Thank you for what you've done in the hearts of men and women in this congregation up to this point. Now, God, I pray you speak to us as a body of believers. Let our faith increase. Lord, we thank you for those that are going to be baptized today in Jesus' name. We praise you for that. We praise you for those that are going to be filled with your spirit today. Fill all of us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Fill every one of us with your spirit. Let us be overflowing in Jesus' name. And everybody said in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Uh, I want to make a connection today with uh, a personal experience that I had. It's it's been a few years ago now, but as I was thinking about where I was going today with all of you, all of a sudden these memories came. Praise the Lord, Sister Frances. It's good to see you back there. I just looked up and there she is. it's, It's a joy to see you here today. We continue to pray for you. Hey, it's amazing what the pastor sees when he looks up. Well, I see a lot of stuff. Amen. (laughs) Amen. Good to see you, Sister Francis. Amen. Good to see Sister Pat here today, too. 
Sister Pat Newitchell, she's she's caring for her mother also, and so we're thankful. Well, I, I better not get started. Good to see all of you here. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, Pastor sees you. Good to see you here today. Amen. So I had a personal happening take place in my life a few years ago that as I was preparing today for what I'm going to share with you, it brought back to me the principles of what this message is all about. Three points I'll make today. Three points. So when I get to the third one, you'll know that I'm closing. And what happened in my own personal life was in September of 2013, I was privileged. Uh, it was a it was a it was a trip for a reason. It was actually uh, my 30th wedding anniversary, and that that's that's a great milestone, amen. And uh, but celebrating that, uh, me and my wife took a trip to France, and that was a a great time. And we saw a lot of things. I did get tired of seeing museums. Uh, they take you on these tours. You go through all kind of museums, and and uh, I'm. I love history, but, but uh, you know, buildings, architecture, and them showing me the difference in the architecture, I'm not quite as impressed with that. I want to know what happened there. I can see how the building's built. <laughs> but anyway, some folks are impressed with that. But by far, the highlight of my trip was when I was privileged to go to northern France uh, to what they call Normandy. And Americans still arrive at this spot uh, in Normandy, northern France, by the scores on the sands of Normandy. And they have visited that place uh, by the millions. More than 70 years after uh, what took place there, those allied forces from many nations storm that shore there and many people are drawn there by a desire to connect with what happened, and for many, it happened before they were ever born. In fact, Normandy's beaches, I don't know if they're with me or not. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to tell them when to go because I forgot to bring my notes. Is that right? All right, so I'll just point. When I point, you know that means. Normandy's beaches, those cliffs, gun bunkers, cemeteries, the site of June the 6th, 1944, those landings that turned World War, the tide of World War II, mark a place where men and women truly stood together according to what sightseers and guides describe all these years later. To make all of that possible, folks back in America had produced airplanes and ships at record speeds. They worked overtime. They didn't demand any extra wages. Everybody pulled together. That's not a sentiment that we see a lot of today, but it did exist at one point in our history. Each year, about a million people stroll through the Normandy American Cemetery overlooking Omaha Beach, according to the American Battlefield Monuments Commission. That makes the memorial, the, this memorial, the, the final resting place of 9,300 plus troops. It makes it the most visited graveyard among all the cemeteries that are tended by. Keep on going, Sister Mallory. I pointed. There, there you go. There we go. Okay. Look carefully for my point. All right. I didn't point that time. 
Sorry. This, this graveyard where almost 10,000 troops are buried makes this, uh, the, the one million, over one million that visit that, that battlefield, although it's thousands of miles from the United States, it makes this cemetery the most visited of all federal cemeteries. There are a few battlefields for Americans uh, that, a uh, few battlefields that Americans can name, but everybody, just about, by far, most of them know the names of, or at least some, of the Normandy beaches. Most who visit the Normandy coast have seen the footage, troops huddled in landing crafts, uh, check hedgehogs dotting the beach meant to rip those boats open, waves of men sprinting, crawling, shooting, and dying on that sand, the waves of the English Channel eventually turning red by the blood of those who were dying in that water. Carefully see the point. Most guests tend to range from their mid-40s to mid-60s, the tourism people say, meaning that most people that show up, they weren't even born when D-Day happened. They quietly stroll through the sandy landing zones, once codenamed Omaha, Utah, Gold, Juneau, and Sword. For Americans, these beaches are like holy sites, sacred ground. Uh, it's a place that they just stop in their tracks, one guide says, when they're taking them through these areas. One of the guides, and I uh, cannot really pronounce her name, she said, it's a place that I am still not surprised. They round the corner and they stop dead in their tracks. It just, she says, it just hits everybody, all of those crosses all of those stars of David and it's a palpable reminder that none of these men made it home. Walking up the long sidewalk, rounding the corner, I can testify that it is overwhelming. Here they were on that day in September, all lined up, all lined up in beautiful rows, resting under single marble crosses that bore their name, their rank, and the date of their ultimate sacrifice. And standing in that place, something huge comes over a person, something big. You can't resist the urge to stop, to pause, to not talk, to not be distracted. You want in some ways like them to put a stamp on your visit, almost like you want a sign that you were there too. Oh, that wasn't a point, sorry. Well, it's okay. I should not raise my hands any longer. When I kick my leg, that means change the slide. Almost like in standing there, you in some way join them. In some small way, just by standing there, you thank them. You, in essence, stand with them. You say, yep, I believe freedom is worth, worth that. You stand there wondering if called upon. Uh, oh, we got ahead, but we're okay. 
If you yourself could be numbered with such people, such men, not perfect people, but people that saw a cause bigger than themselves. If you were to ask them, they would not say they were great. They would say, because I've spoken to veterans who would say, we weren't great. We were just men, just normal, everyday men, just like the men and women sitting in this room today. Their families and their comrades visit them by the millions. The emotions of everyone who enters is exactly the same. There's silence, there's thankfulness, there's hallowedness, there's sacredness. Somebody say amen. I'd like to say with that in mind, the reason over a million people go to Normandy and visit those beaches, it's not so much that there was an invasion that happened there. It does have to do with what happened. But mostly it has to do with the people it happened with. See, projects and plans and all of that, those are not the important things. The important things is how it affects people. And 9,300 plus men and women buried in a graveyard overlooking those beaches in Normandy. That's why over a million people show up a year. Not because somebody planned something good, not because they pulled it off good, but because people invested in a victory that we still celebrate today. People. It is about people. It's about the price they pay. It's about the things they go through to get there. It all looks fine on paper, but somebody's got to get in the boat. Somebody's got to say it's worth it. Somebody's got to storm the beach. Somebody's got to run up the hillside. Somebody's got to take the bunker because it looks good on paper. I don't worry about what's on paper. I believe people are what a project is about. Let me give you an example. The Bible tells us that when they rebuilt the walls of uh, of Jerusalem, Brother Kyle preached about it during our family month last year. The Bible tells us that each family was, was required to participate in the area that was close to their home, close to their family heritage, close to where their family grew up or their house. You see, this is what makes it worth it. This is what makes it an important issue. This is what makes it a part of us, not just because uh, this is going to be a beautiful thing, but because it's going to affect my family. It's going to affect my children. I'm building not just because this is a project. I'm building because my family's worth it. My children are worth it. This city's worth it. And I'm building from a neighbor because if, I, if there's a weakness here at this point, it's going to affect my neighbor. And if I'm not focused on this project, then it's going to affect somebody down the road. I want to make sure that people are what it's about. And David decided he was going to build a temple. And his heart, the Bible tells us David's project was the temple, but his heart was not just focused on a building. His heart was focused on ministry, 
on people. And we'll read it in just a minute. David never even saw that temple built, yet he dedicated his time. He dedicated his leadership. He dedicated his possessions. Could you say his very life was dedicated to it? And we want to find out why. Why did David have such a compelling heart to see the kingdom expand? Folks, God has been really good to us. God's been really good to us. I'm not going to get down in the ditch. You know, you, you fight with somebody in the ditch, you're going you're gonna to get muddy. <laughs> I'm not going to get down in the ditch about God's purpose and God's why God did this and why people did that and why this church is here and why that. You know, we can go down that road and chase all those rabbits, but I will tell you what, we're here. <laughs> oh, isn't that a revelation? Guess what? We're here. And I, I, I believe we're in the will of God and I won't tell you why because God wouldn't have called me here if this church wasn't in the will of God. That's the fact of the matter. In fact, in Ephesians chapter four, he says he's gonna give pastors to the church. If this church wasn't in the will of God, you wouldn't have a pastor. God wouldn't send you one if you weren't in the will of God. So I'm gonna settle that question. I'm here on the will of God and you're here in the will of God. So... That's all that matters. Uh, Oh, somebody give the Lord a good praise right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I'll tell you something else. It's important I say this today. My parents divorced when I was two years old, but I didn't live the rest of my life a nitwit and blaming it on what happened 30, 40 years ago. (laughs) No, you didn't hear me. I said, I could have said, oh, I'm doing heroin because my daddy left. No, I didn't do heroin because I didn't want to be strung out on drugs. I wanted God in my life. That's why I made the choices I made. Oh, well, you don't know what I've been through. No, you don't know what I've been through either. But I recognize I'm not going to use that as an excuse for my foolishness. I believe the Lord is good. I believe he's worthy to be praised. I thank God for a good church here on this corner. Oh, somebody clap your hands under the Lord. Well, I just think I better say it. Every once in a while, even the preacher feels like storming a few beaches, and this feels like one aisle to run up. I can say, well, mom and dad split up, and dad was an alcoholic till the day he died. They found my dad dead in his kitchen floor with nine liters of J&B Scotch whiskey empty, the bottles. Some of them in the trash, some of them on the counter. Yeah, well, I'm an alcoholic because my dad was, oh, no, 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 no. Uh-uh. No, I'm more than a conqueror. Jesus says I'm better than that. The blood of, oh, you're not here. Jesus says I'm better than that. The blood of Jesus Christ says, I know how you were born, but you don't have to die that way. I don't care what happened in your past. It does not have to condemn your future. So, yeah, I could could have run away from home and said, well, it's causing my mom and daddy. I could have blown myself on all kind of stuff snorted stuff, shot stuff, smoked stuff, and said, well, I'm dealing with some inner pain. (laughs) 
hey, I'm not making light because it's right, it's true. Do we have inner pain? Right. But you have to understand that J and B Scotch whiskey's not gonna fix that. Jesus said, cast your care on me. Jesus is the only answer to all the onion layers you gotta pull off. Oh, clap your hands under the Lord. You have no idea. You have no idea. There's things my family doesn't even know that happened to me as a child that I don't have to go broadcast to people. I want to tell you, Jesus' shoulders are big enough to carry whatever sorrow. No, you're not hearing me. So I am not going to forfeit my present and bankrupt my future just because my past was not what I thought it ought to be. You know what I am? I'm telling you, I'm thankful today because if it hadn't been for the Lord, I wouldn't even be in my right mind today. Some of you wonder if I am, but I want to tell you this. I got something to praise God for. Yeah, life hadn't been wonderful, no. It hadn't all been rose gardens, no. There's been a bunch of garbage you've had to wade through, but the Lord brought you out, did Here you are. Here you are. What should I praise God for? You ought to thank God you didn't die of an overdose is what you ought to thank God for. Lynn, you ought to praise the Lord. You ought to thank God that through that abuse, you didn't die. Here you are, filled with the Holy Ghost. He could have left me alone, but he brought me out. Oh, clap your hands under the Lord. Come on, clap your hands unto the Lord. Oh, yeah, sorry, back to the sermon. I don't want anybody in this church, I'm gonna say it, I'm gonna say it now. I'm gonna go on record. I don't want anybody that's a member of this church ever hang your head about the church you go to. I don't want you to be arrogant and proud. Man, I don't You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. And anybody wants to wallow around in why mom and dad divorced and stay eating at that table, just smile and say, you eat all that you want to, but I'm going on to better stuff. Yeah, ain't living there. No, I'm changing addresses. I want to tell you something. If we can control the past or the present or the future, we wouldn't need God, would we? No, I can't control it. Turn to your neighbor and tell him you can't control it either. So I felt like running up this hill for just a minute that this church is going to go forward. We're not going to go back and have a meeting with mom and dad and try to make sure that, that everybody feels okay. We can't do that. We're moving forward. We're looking forward. My old pastor used to say, keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't look to the left and don't look to the right. 
There's a lot of stuff that tries to distract the people of God. Don't get distracted. Somebody say amen. David didn't even see this temple built, yet he dedicated his life. I thank God for the men and women that sit under the sound of my voice that have dedicated their time, their talents, their leadership, even their very lives to the kingdom of God in this church. Man, I, I feel the Holy Ghost up here. I'm not sure how it feels out there, but I want to say this. I want to say something else to you. I want to say something else to you. When somebody has a habit of any habit, you got a habit, you, you, whether it might be addictive practices or a person is in the practice of rebellion, uh, or they don't want to submit to authority, and they, you know, whatever the habit may be, whatever the lifestyle may be, I want you to think about this. It takes an act of God to change that person. No, you must be born again of the water and of the Spirit. You can't go to enough meetings to keep that old human flesh from rising back up again. Can't. The Holy Ghost has to get in your heart and change your DNA. Not, now, not your physical, but your spiritual. I'm a new creature in Christ. I'm not the same thing. So, so please, don't waste my time. Don't waste my time coming with your list of all the bad people and the stuff they did however long ago. Don't waste my time because I don't know those people. No, you're not hearing me. I, I want to tell you what. There are faithful people sitting in this room right now. And I don't care what kind of past they had. Jesus got a hold of their life. And such were some of you, but you are washed. But you are sanctified. Jesus made a change in us. Okay. I hope you hear what I'm saying. Do I need to explain it? Do I need to interpret? That means it doesn't matter what's happened in the past. Let me just say it this way. I'm trying to tiptoe through this one because I don't want to be offensive, but I want to tell you this. If that was such a bad man or such a bad woman, that's one of the most faithful people I've ever met in my life. Yeah. So don't waste my time. Well, you don't know what they did. No, no, but the Lord does. And you know what I know? I've known some of them 26 years. And they're some of the most faithful people I've ever met in my life. Sitting in this room right here. I'm looking at some of them right now. Now, some of you hadn't been here that long. That's okay. You, you, praise God. So, day, day, I got to get back to this guy walking down this street here. David had some reasons why he gave himself to the furtherance of the kingdom. So, Brother Gene, what are you saying? I'm saying, in, in, a, in short order, in just a little while, turn to your neighbor and say, in a little while. It won't be long now. Amen. Because the word of the Lord is spoken to your pastor. 
through the gifts of the Spirit, through prayer, through all kind of things. He's confirmed it over and over and over. It won't be long. We'll be in a worship center right past that wall right there. We'll have a church building where it's set up for church. We don't have to come out and set up all this stuff. We won't have to worry about setting up the chairs anymore. I thank God for every one of these chairs. We don't have to set up these chairs anymore. We don't have to have Rhonda and Jonathan come in the middle of the night on Friday or Saturday because we've had some event here in this room and now they've got to clean up and mop the floor. See, it affects everything. It changes the entire schedule. It lightens the load on everybody. So all of a sudden, we, we, we believe, I believe with all of my heart, in short order, we're going to be in a sanctuary right over there. It's going to connect to that old building. It's going to connect to this, this parking lot here. God is going to bless us and help us. I'm speaking in faith. God's going to honor your commitment. I believe there needs to be revival in Salem, Illinois. So this... Hey, we, that's, the old sanctuary got filled up. I don't know if you've noticed. This one's getting filled up. We're, we're going to move to our... Uh, uh, I should say the, the building you're probably going to have when I croak. God's going to do it. So... The reason I'm saying all this is because I'm not going to back up and say, well, we got to be ashamed of this and ashamed of that. And we're just, here we are. We're just trying to just, just kind of uh, make everybody happy. No, we're going to go forward. Pe- I'm going to let people say what they want to say. I'm going forward. As for me and my house, <laughs> that's where we're going. And I'll tell you why David, why David gave his time, his possessions, his effort to something he didn't even ever live to see. And I hurry. Point one, David believed it was a defining moment. Everybody say defining moment. David believed it was a defining moment in the spiritual life of Israel. First Chronicles 29 and verse one. Furthermore, David the king said unto all the congregation, Solomon my son, whom alone God hath chosen, is yet young and tender, and the work is great. Everybody say, the work is great. The work is great, for the palace is not for man. Now, that word palace, obviously, he's talking about the temple, the building they're gonna build. He said, this is not for man, but is for the Lord God. Notice, he said, the work is great. Up to this point, the Ark of the Covenant had dwelt in a tent and was moved from place to place. But now God's people were gonna build a permanent place to worship God. And when Solomon completed that temple and dedicated it to the Lord, he asked God to hear their prayers and accept their worship from that temple. In fact, we find when Solomon asked God to accept what they had done, we find how God responded in 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14. You probably remember this. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Now mine eyes shall be opened and my ears attend unto the prayer 
that is made in this place. For now have I chosen and sanctified this house that my name may be there forever and mine eyes and mine heart shall be there perpetually. Folks, we too are facing a defining moment in the life and the history of this local congregation. The work we have to do is great, but God has promised his help and his provision. Somebody say amen. I believe God is gonna make a way for this people. Amen. I said I believe God is gonna make a way for this people. The second thing, second thing, David believed it was a divine mission. Everybody say divine mission. I just want you to know, especially Brother Kyle. Brother Kyle, those are not the fonts that I chose. I chose some incredible fonts. Anyway, just felt like I needed to make that disclaimer. Something happens when you put it on a different computer, and it's all right. But it looked amazing, and I know it still looks amazing. I mean, wow. Anyway. David believed it was a divine mission. Everybody say divine mission. Let's look back at 1 Chronicles 29 and 1. David said unto the congregation, my son's young and tender. Everybody say the work is great. That's right, but that's not all he said. He said, for the palace is not for man, but for the Lord God. The temple was not for man, David said. This is for the Lord. The project was not meant to make David look important, or David to look successful. It grew out of David's passion to honor God and to do the work of God. Yes, the temple is no longer a pl- the only place God dwells. He doesn't dwell in temples made of stone and brick and mortar. He dwells in our hearts. I understand that. But there is a place God's people gather to worship. Say what you want about the New Testament church and where they gather. The fact of the matter is the apostles continually supported us gathering together with God's people. The word says don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. It's important in whatever venue the culture dictates you gather, whether it's in the jungle of Africa or whether it's in the desert in Saudi Arabia or whether it's in an underground house in China or it's in a church building in America. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. It's not okay to say, well, the Lord dwells in here so I don't need to gather with God's people. That's a violation of the word of God. He said, don't forsake to assemble even the more so as you see the day of his coming approaching. It's good to be in church with God's people. I thank God we have a place to worship Okay, all right, well, we don't need a building. Okay, next week, I'll tell you what we're gonna do. Next week, we're all gonna meet at John and Phyllis's house. Think about the logistics of that. Let's start with parking. Let's start with all getting in their living room. I know where I'm going. I'm gonna be in the kitchen. I'm gonna be looking for a Mexican fruitcake. There's some things we cannot do as the kingdom grows. 
Well, we ought to just go to house again. Yeah, absolutely. It's okay to meet from house to house. Absolutely. Ten or twelve of you meet together and pray. Brother Gene, I'm not preaching against gathering together. You ought to be gathering together. But don't forsake the assembling of the church together. We need a place to come together and worship God. Thank God for what we have right here. No, this is not the sum total of my spiritual journey. I pray by myself. I fellowship with a few people, but I thank God for those moments I can come with God's people and feel God. Oh, clap your hands unto the Lord. Let's go to 1 Chronicles 29, 14. I think it's up there. 1 Chronicles 29, 14. But who am I? And what is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort? For all things come of thee, and of thy own have we given thee. Notice what David said. Who are we that we have the privilege to give like this? Wow, what an attitude. David said, who are we that we could give willingly after this manner? For all things come from you, and of your own have we given it to you. Did you hear that? David said, Lord, on our own, we're completely incapable of doing this. Everything we have came from you. I want you to think about that for a minute. David said, everything we have that we gave Everything we gave, first of all, came from you, God. We're simply giving back what you gave us. Think about it. Who's saying this? David. Who's he king of? He's king of Israel. Where was Israel a few hundred years before that? Slaves in Egypt. Do slaves have anything? Oh, no. They have nothing. They're told where to go, when to go, what they can own, what they can't own. These people were slaves, and God had rescued them. Everything they had, God had given them. David David was once a fugitive hiding in caves. God had rescued him and put him on the throne. And David said, Lord, what we've given you is only what you've blessed us with. Think about your life right now, right now. Right now, think about everything you have. How'd you get it? Well, I'm going to say the short answer is God gave it to you. And you're going to say, oh, no, I work for that. Well, wait a minute. How did you have the strength to get out of bed and go to work? How did you have a job? God gave you all that. He, I'm telling you, there are days like yesterday that I'm on my knees crawling between my neighbor's carport and my garage because somebody has planted walnuts between my garage and the neighbor's carport. And those little walnut trees, some of them getting pretty hefty. I said, you know, today's the day that I clear out what some enemy sowed beside my garage. And I'm in there sawing and clipping and crawling. And at one point, I decide I'm going to get up. And I can't hardly get up. 
And when I finally get up, the first words out of my mouth are not, oh, I'm getting old. The first words out of my mouth were, thank you, Lord, for helping me to get up. And you smile about it, but I want to tell you, if the Lord does not help you, no, you didn't build that house. The Bible says if you labor by yourself, you labor in vain. But if the Lord builds it, I want to tell you who gave me my house. The Lord gave me my house. I want to tell you who got me out of bed this morning. Jesus got me up this morning. Oh, I owe him everything. Come on, I said I owe him everything. I owe him everything. Yeah. I owe him everything. God had a work for David and Israel to do, not based on their ability to do it, but on God's ability. God's ability. Turn to your neighbor and tell him God's able. This is not a pride Just hang on right there, Sister Mallory. This is not a pride-based project. I want to set the score straight right now. I'm not going to leave here and say to people, oh, I'd rather them say, I had no idea you were expanding because I want to stay as far away from pride as I can stay. There have been times through this project when we were going forward with this building that I wouldn't even pull out the blueprints. I didn't. I don't want to not testify about what God's doing, but I don't want pride to get a hold of me in any way. And I figure, the way I figure it, you know, I don't want to cast my pearl before the pigs. <laughs> Some people aren't going to appreciate it. Some people are going to think I'm bragging. So I, I, don't, I don't want to cause them to stumble in any way. But this is not a pride-based endeavor. This is not for this church to say, look what we have now. No. It's not for the pastor or any staff or any of the people here to look good or look successful. God has a great work that he's called us to do. I want to tell you this. It's beyond our human ability to do it. I want to set your mind at ease now. What we're fixing to do is beyond our ability to do. If we could do it, Betty, we wouldn't need God, would we? So let me regress just a moment. Everything I've ever endeavored to do for God, Jackson, everything I've ever tried to do for God, for God, not for myself, but for God, everything God asked me to do, Brother Lester, it was humanly impossible for me to do it. If I could do it for myself, it wasn't a God-ordained mission. I don't need God to speak to me to go mow my yard. I can mow my yard all by myself. But to be a preacher, oh no, God, that's, 
I can't talk to anybody. I'm shy. I get embarrassed when people look at me. See, from the get-go, when God calls you, it's humanly impossible for you to do it. If you could do it, you wouldn't need God. We need God. Somebody says, oh, how are we going to do that? How much are you talking about? Well, when we start talking about numbers, people say, how are you going to do that? We're not going to do it. We can't do it. Just like we couldn't do this. Fact of the matter, just like we couldn't do this. And here we are. Last but not least, point number three. So you know what that means, don't you? Yep. David believed in doing ministry. Everybody say doing ministry. First Chronicles 29, verse 18. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, our fathers, keep this forever in the imaginations of the thoughts of the heart of thy people. Look at that. David said, Lord God, keep this in the hearts of your people. And prepare their heart unto thee. And give unto Solomon, my son, a perfect heart to keep the commandments, thy testimonies, and thy statutes. And to do all these things and to build the palace for the which I have made provision. David said, Lord, put it in the hearts and the thoughts of your people. Don't let them forget what you've done. Ministry is meeting people's needs while turning their hearts toward God look across this auditorium just a few years ago some of these people in this room were not here God's been good David knew the project would turn the people's hearts to God both then and in the future he said Lord keep it in the hearts of your people if they remember how you brought them through how you made a way it will help future generations. And this project we read about in 1 Chronicles 29 was a life-changing experience. It was a defining moment for the people of Israel. God entrusted us in this community with ministry, not because he needs us, but because of what it does for us. Think of what it does for your family. We need it for spiritual growth. If you will participate and get involved, your life will be forever changed. And I close. Ownership requires responsibility. Let's talk about something for a minute. Sister Mallory, hit that one more time. Let's talk about renting versus owning. Is there a difference between renting something and owning it? Oh, yeah, what is the difference? It's called responsibility. If you rent the house, you can call Mike Donnelly to come fix the plumbing. Not my house. If you rent the house and the hot water heater goes out, what do you do? Call the owner. Reminds me of walking through that old uh, fellowship hall years ago and the trash was full and a dear saint, stopped the pastor and said, Pastor, the trash is full. Oh, really? Trash is full. Take it out. The wisdom of the pastor is God-ordained, God-given. And at times he just needs to say, you know, the trash is full. We'll take it out. 
You see, when you're renting a place, somebody needs to come get the dumpster. When you're renting a place and the carpet rips, what do you do? Call Mike Donnelly, come fix your carpet. That ain't my carpet. I'm living on it, I'm laying on it, I'm sitting there watching TV on it, but you gotta fix it. See, that's renting. It takes more responsibility when you own a house. It takes a lot more responsibility to take care of your own house. It takes a lot more responsibility to take care of your own children. <laughs> ain't my kid. If it was my kid, we'd already be in the bathroom. I've been in restaurants and I thought all that kid needs is one trip to the bathroom. That's it. Not to go potty. Oh no. It's a word that begins with P though. It's not, it's not potty. It's pounding. At times I'd look across the table at my daughters in that, in that infant chair, in that high chair, and I'd just say, do you want to go to the bathroom? No, Daddy. That's right. No, you don't. And I don't want to either. So you're going to be nice, and you're not going to ruin everybody else's dinner. Uh-oh. I'm wondering if I should storm this beach. No. It takes a lot more responsibility to care for my own kids, but with responsibility also comes great blessings. What are you saying, Pastor? Many church members rob themselves of the blessings of God because they try to rent from the church. They want all the benefits without any of the responsibility. They want to be cared for. They want to be served. But they don't want to serve or care for anybody else. You know what they miss? They miss real blessing. Because Luke 9 and 24 says, For whosoever will save his life will lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. Let me ask you something else. Why do you, let me ask myself, why do I love this church? From the newest member to the oldest member, why do we love this church? I can't speak for you, so let me speak for me. Some of my greatest spiritual victories came in the altars of this church. Oh, now you say, uh, high five. You say, well, brother, you didn't get the, no, I didn't get the Holy Ghost here. But some of my greatest spiritual victories came in these altars and those altars. Some of the greatest revelations from God's word that I was privileged to get up and preach to people. You know where they came from? They came from prayer meetings. I can take you to the spots where some of those messages came from. I can take you to the moment where God spoke it to my heart. You know what? This church is valuable to me. I love this church. This church right here. There were times, Brother Pate, right after I was voted in pastor, I got very sick. We were living in that little parsonage and I couldn't even come to church. I was very sick. I can't tell you how precious it is to hear somebody knock on the door and you wonder, oh, who could that be? And you hear your wife go and open the door and you hear a familiar voice from an elder in the church 
that says we found out our pastor's sick. We just want to come pray for him that God will raise him up. And while you're laying in that bed trying to be decent, to hear the prayers of God's people over you. I love this church. Oh, I know. I'm sorry, Brother Rob. Man, I get so excited I want to yell. I'm sorry. I should I should stay calm. I want to tell you another reason why I love this church. Some of you may never know the great influence that you have been to my children. My children have sat in Sunday school classes in that old building in Sunday school classes in this second expansion. I don't know if they had many Sunday school classes up here, but my children were influenced by elders and youth pastors. They took them to camp. They took them to lock-ins when I was too old to even want to go. Youth pastors and youth workers and Sunday school teachers that impacted my children. I love this church. <laughs> Chelsea just well it was in a, in a mission service in this church that God allowed the provision for my children to get an education <laughs> I can take you to the spot on that pew where I was sitting where God said, do what I told you and I'll take care of your kids. I got so many altars in this facility, I can't even name them all. I can go to a spot in, the, in that little back room. There's, there's baptistry rooms, changing rooms in there now over behind that organ. I can go to the spot just inside that door back there that goes between those prayer rooms where I fell in the floor when there was a family in this church going through hell where I fell in the floor and for hours I interceded for a family in this church. They're all over this place. We're building this facility and we started putting the flooring down other than this flooring right here. I, you know, I, I didn't have a whole lot of experience, but I said, you know, I think I can put some carpet down. And I told people, you know, the only saving grace to all this carpet in here is that the pastor knows he's been on his knees over this entire building. I've been on my knees in every one of those rooms. Every square foot precious. I love this church. My daughter, Shayla's here today, getting involved in our education ministry, taking over our school, because me and my wife are not old, but we're not going to play 25 anymore. I thank God for that, that this church would celebrate one of my children coming back and being involved in ministry. This is a precious church. Oh, oh, try this on for size. You were the people. You were the people. Chelsea just finished her dissertation. She got a great miracle. They did no revisions. Thank God that's all over. She'll be hopefully walking in December and graduating. Thank God for that. You know what she did her dissertation on? Preacher's kids. 
You know how many preachers' kids get bitter, get upset? She did investigative interviews. How many preachers' kids battle with situations and things that go on? I thank God for this church because you let my kids be kids. I didn't have to get up and say, now wait a minute, you're not going to treat my kids like that. No, you let my kids be children. You let them be in the youth. I thank God for this church. And you know, one day, someday, they'll get married here. You'll give me the privilege. Shayla's shaking her head. No, that's all right, honey. I raised my girls that they didn't need a man to be complete. They were one all by themselves. That they were Now, when God brings somebody else to your life, it's going to make you twice as good. It's going to make you two times better. But don't go through life thinking I'm only half a person. I need to find the one that makes me whole. Well, you better fix that brokenness before you get going. Because if you drag that brokenness in and lay it on somebody else's lap, you're in trouble. You better know who you are before God brings that other half. No, you better pray he brings another hole into your life because you don't need a half wit. Come on, all you ladies, clap your hands. I know you're embarrassed. I am too. My wife's even embarrassed. One of these days, you know what? I'm going to have the privilege to walk those girls down an aisle and this church is going to, those that want to be, they're going to be there and celebrate and they're going to hear me say, I give her to you. I do. I give her to you. You, God bless you. And this church is going to pray over my children. What a great church. In fact, I don't want to wax melodramatic. I'm not into drama, in case you've noticed. But if the Lord tarries, if the Lord tarries, right here is where my last church service will be attended. Yeah, because if I croak this week, you know something? I was with some of the most amazing people on the last Sunday of my life. What a great place to go to heaven from. A place where people love one another, where they believe God, where they don't shortchange new people, where they embrace those that they, that they don't even know. What a blessed group of people. Yeah. The Lord tarries. I don't know, Brother Kyle, of course, you know, who, who knows about the call of God, but somebody's going to roll me down and put me in front of the pulpit and say, here he lies. Boy, doesn't he look great. I'm gonna want, that's right. I'm going to want you to take me out to the graveyard. Don't forget that this is the last place. Before they close me up, put me in the ground, this will be the last place I attend. This church. It's precious. I wouldn't want to go any other way. I sure wouldn't want to go on the back of a wrecker or out of a Red Dog Saloon. I'd want my service right here where the choir could sing and people could get up and worship God. That's what I want. I don't want them toasting me. No, I don't need a toast. <laughs> and you know, last but not least, to be honest, this is where I've been fed 
on a weekly basis the word of God. Sometimes I've been doing the feeding and other times somebody else has been feeding. But the word of God has fed me week after week after week. So why do I love this church? The answer's easy. Because it's mine. Oh, I know, it's God's church. Yeah, but I want to tell you what. I'm not renting anymore. I'm not renting anymore. David started out as a shepherd boy in a field. God made him a king and placed him in a palace. He could not help but give back to God what God had given to him. So I say in closing, I'm indebted to God. I was lost. I was sinful. And here I am today, saved, delivered, redeemed. Jesus died for me made me an heir of his kingdom and when his work gets on my heart I will not only be responsible to do it I will want to do it you know why because now it's not God's work in this community you know what now it's it's my work I want to do what God wills in this community would you stand right now lift your hands and love the Lord and ask God to help you right now come on right now all over the building God I pray Lord I pray if there's anybody in this room right now that's renting they, they, they need to take ownership they need to say no wait a minute this is my church no this is where I'm blessed this is where God has encouraged me this is where God's people have prayed for me I, this is where I've been fed every week this is where when I was sick somebody come and anointed me with oil prayed the prayer of faith this is where my kids got the Holy Ghost. This is where my children got saved. This is where my husband got baptized and the list goes on and on and on. This this is not just his church. It's my church. I, I, I own this. This is a part of my spiritual uh, uh, fortitude. This is a part of my spiritual character. Come on, reach over and connect with somebody. I'm praying God bind us together. We need a miracle, Lord. We're believing you to take the five loaves and the two fishes that we have. Come on, reach over and connect with somebody. Put your hand on their shoulder and pray, God, bind us together as a body of believers. I thank you, Lord, for this church, oh God, for this people, oh God. Lord, where would we be if it had not been for you, Lord? I praise you, Lord Jesus. I thank you for every soul that you brought into the kingdom. Lord, there are men and women standing here that got saved in this church. I thank you, Lord, for saving them. I thank you, Lord, there was a church here to preach the gospel, to hear you say, well done, Lord, is our goal. I love you, Jesus. Come on, let's worship the Lord right now. Come on, just lift your praises unto the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, let's love him right now. Jesus, help us. Speak to our hearts right now, Lord. Hallelujah. It, it's, it, uh, I don't know why, but it's fallen my lot, even in our state, in our district, to try to raise money. Nothing makes me more nervous than trying to reach into people's pocketbooks and purses. I'll say this, God's kingdom is a worthy cause. I wouldn't be a very good salesman if I had to sell vacuum cleaners or 
or world book encyclopedias or clothes for that matter because I don't know if I could sell those skinny jeans. You have to believe in something to sell it. I know, I've tried a few things. I got a few barbecue grills, a few, you know, a few pair of shoes, a few pair of jeans, and I'd say, you know, these are good. This is a good clothes. These are good jeans. This is a good barbecue grill. Yeah, I'm not sure I could sell it. You know, I just well, if you want to buy it, that's your business. But I, I don't have, I, I don't have any hesitation selling you the kingdom of God. Oh, what a great cause! But I will say these services are a little different because we're focusing, uh, yeah, people getting healed, people getting the Holy Ghost. It can happen today, right now. But we're talking about uh, moving into our future. And I want to draw your attention to one last verse, Colossians 4, verse 17. Colossians 4, 17. And say to Archippus, say to Salem, turn to your neighbor and say, say to Salem, Say to Salem, what? Take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord. How much has God done for you? What has he given you? What has he blessed you with? Everything. Take heed. Beware of how you treat the ministry that you have received, that thou fulfill it. I want to finish the race. And 50 years from now, when my grandchildren are in this church, loving the Lord, they're coming through Sunday school classes that... Your children are teaching. You say, well, Brother Gene, what's that day going to look like? Well, I tell you right now, I already see it. I'm already there spiritually. There's going to be a church here. There's going to be people being ministered to. The kingdom of God is going forward. And some of us that are waxing a little older are not going to be here to celebrate it. But I want to tell you, God's kingdom is going forward. And one day, just like those million-plus visitors that stand in that hallowed ground in Normandy, one day there's going to be a generation that looks back and says, what a sacrifice. What a price that was paid to get us to where we are. I feel it now, and we'll feel it 20 years from now if the Lord tarries. And if you want to be a part of it, I don't care if this is your first Sunday here, I'm talking to you as pastor about this church expanding and finishing the sanctuary, paying off this present facility and finishing the sanctuary. If you want to be a part of that, if you want to be a part of it, not now we're not going to make a commitment today. We're going to do that in two weeks. But if you want to be a part of what God's doing in this community, I just want you to step out in the aisle and make your way up front and say, Pastor, I, I feel very strongly about this church and I love this church and this is my church and this is where I've been fed and this is where I've been blessed. This is where my kids got dedicated to the Lord. This is where my children felt their call to the ministry. This is where my children felt the burden for missions. This is where my, my loved ones got saved. This is where my, my mom and dad went to church and, and they loved the Lord. Come on right now, just from all over the building. Amen. Thank the Lord. Thank you, Lord. I want to be a part of it. I want to be a part of what God's doing. Now, as you gather in, I just want us to unify together today and, and pray together, just connecting with someone else, connecting with a brother or sister. And I want you to pray, God, lay it on my heart what you want me to do for your kingdom, God. Lay it on my heart right now. Speak to me, God. Speak to me, Lord. You've blessed me. You've helped me.